Hi, it's a Wednesday morning, and uh, we had a very good event last night, a Bino event at uh, Ed Hoffman's house, and a lot of a lot of people were there. And I want to thank Ed and uh, and uh, Yaakov Fader for catering and organizing such a nice event. I'll talk about it later this week, but I want to say over something I spoke about last night, but in a more organized fashion. Today is being sponsored by the Khans, Chaim and SD Khan. And it's uh, Zecher Nishmas Nachman Ben Meir, whose yards it is today, according to what they said. Nachman Ben Meir uh, on Rosh Chodesh Tevis. Okay? So thank you very much. And to cut right to the chase. One of the most remarkable features of the current situation is, at least to me, and I've spoken of it many times, you know, I find looking at evil just fascinating. You get it? But the Gaisha evil is nothing new. But this Jewish stuff, where the Jews for peace, and the Jews for this, and Jews for Amalek, and they're uh, pushing all the time to help the bad guys. And you wonder, how can Jews be okay with the kind of massacres that they did on, on Simchas Torah? How can they be okay with baking babies in ovens, with chopping off heads, and torturing uh, women in, in, in um, unusual ways, without getting too graphic? I mean, if you're Jewish, how do you how do you justify it? And they do. They say, you're colonialist, you deserve everything you get. They're sick dogs. And if you follow the rhetoric through, they'll say, we want to cease fire now. You know what I'm Hold on. Oh, I keep getting interrupted, but that's the rabbi goodness. Anyway, um, it's interesting because they say, I want to cease fire now. But then you say, but then the Hamas is going to continue their stuff. I know, it doesn't matter. What do you mean it doesn't matter? Well, you don't deserve to live anyway, you know. So, no, it's not really about it. See, they talk in tactical terms. You want to stop the human suffering, but it's not really true in the sense that we want to stop the Arab suffering. We don't want to stop Europe, Israeli suffering. Okay? We have the right to attack you again. And the hostages can only be returned if you give back all the prisoners. And all the prisoners then have a right to go attack you again. You see what I'm saying? I'm talking about the Jews now. I'm not talking about the guy. I understand the Arab position. They try to do whatever they can. Uh, they were shine, but the Jews—that's the interesting part. You know, they have to really be an Arab rob to to back that. And the reason I mention it because so fascinating because that's Hanukkah, right? Hanukkah, as I mentioned yesterday, has a major feature of it, as we all know, that uh, we had the Misyavdim, the Hellenists, who were the ones who carried out the tortures and persecutions of the Jews. It's only later when you know they they were having trouble doing it, they called in the Greeks. Or when they began to suffer from the Maccabean uh, uh, retaliation, they had to call in the Greeks, the Seleucid Empire. They were in the Seleucid Empire. They themselves were elected to do the tortures themselves. Um, you don't have that too often in Jewish history. I can think of the Efsexi as the Jewish communists, perhaps. Um, you know, as a Jewish group, these were Messiah as a Jewish group to go screw over all the other Jews. You know, really, eh, I can't think of too many cases like that. But I can today. I can right now. You see, as we speak, that's what makes it, in my mind, so relevant to the current Hanukkah. It's remarkable. Um, now, I'm not excusing the Goyim, the Seleucid Empire. They did all, they're happy to do all the tortures and stuff like that. That's who they were. But they were called in in an internecine war between one set of Jews and the other, somewhat similar to the way the Americans were called into the Vietnam conflict. That we were suckered into going in it. Um, if you look 
at um, the first book of Maccabees, it says that when the revolt started, as I mentioned, the Yo killed the Greek guy. I'm going by the, what it says in the apocryphal version. It says that uh, Matisio went into rebellion, and he said, we can fight on Shabbos. And then it says, at that time, a company of Hasidim joined him. That's what it says, Hasidim in the, in the, in the Greek, Asadoi. An exceedingly forceful group of Israel, each one offering himself willingly in defense of the law. So he got like a, he got a, a, a reinforcement of the guerrillas, right? Reinforcement of the guerrillas for, um, uh, what do you call it? For the, uh, uh, from the, from. Because now somebody's fighting against the, the Messiah and the Greeks. Some of the from joined in. Uh, each one offering himself willingly in defense of the Torah. All the refugees from misfortune joined in. Notice anybody who had suffered from the Greek persecution, this is how guerrilla warfare starts, irregular warfare. Those who are dissatisfied with the status quo, who have been screwed over by the status quo, and they're angry, they have family members killed, tortured, whatever, what can you do about it? You go join the rebels. That's cl- classic guerrilla warfare, which is why, as I always say, if you know, in, in West Point, they have statues of the great generals in history, and one of them is Judas Maccabeus, founder of irregular warfare. So they, the Jews mustered an army and smote sinners in their anger. So you see what they did? Who was Matisio mainly going after? The Misyavdim, the bad guys, right? The Jews for Hamas and lawless men in their wrath. So the people they went after were not the Greek soldiers. The people they went, in the beginning, the people they went after were the bad Jews. While the rest fled to the heathen to save themselves. This is classic real warfare. You make it that anybody who's one of the Misyabdim, who until now was walking around and torturing everybody, he becomes a, an object of assassination, like Michael Collins did in the Irish War, right? You just pick these guys off one by one. And then you see that you can't be everywhere. The, 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 the Misyabdim can't cover themselves everywhere. The Greek army can't be literally everywhere. That's always the way it is in war. And so the result is, if you want to stay alive, you had to run like to a Greek fortress or a Greek army encampment, which means that even though you're a small guerrilla force, you kind of control and dominate certainly a lot of the area because they're afraid to go out there because they might get hit by you. Matisio and his friends went about and tore down the altars. So they come to a town and tear down the altars that the Misyadim had set up. And if somebody tries to rebuild the altar, I can guarantee you they'll come another night or something and kill them. And they circumcised by force as many of the uncircumcised children as they found in the borders of Israel. So again, the Messiah prohibited Brit's Milah. You'll remember that they pushed these women off the cliff um, for circumcising their sons with the babies, pushed them off the cliff. That's one version. And Yosef wanted said to crucify them. I'll say it again, to crucify them. That's the word used. Um, and uh, so, so the Maccabees said like this, tit for tat. So we're going to go to your children, anyone we find, to give them a brace whether they like it or not. They pursued the contemptuous ones. So that means they went after it. <clears throat> they targeted the Hellenized Jews. Okay? They pursued them, and the work prospered in their hands. They were very much liach. And so the main fighting was against the other set of Jews. Thus they rescued the Torah from the hands of the heathen and the kings and gave no occasion of triumph to the sinner. So it came to the point that if not for the uh, intervention 
of the uh, Seleucid armies of Antiochus IV, the Misyavnim, although they were many, but maybe they weren't many, started to get destroyed physically by this new little group called the Chashmanim. And Matisio dies, and, and Judah Maccabee takes over. It's the same thing. It's only that since these Misyavnim were backed by the king, so all of a sudden Greek generals start showing up, and Judah Maccabee knocks them off one by one and goes on to gain his fame. But really, it's one set of Jews against the other. And these guys were bad news. If you look in second book of Maccabees, which I mentioned yesterday, very famous, you mamas see cases like the Absexia, like the Stalinist Jews, who persecuted their fellow Jews for keeping mitzvahs. I'm reading here from second book of Maccabees, chapter 6, where he sets aside the, uh, the basic story. It's a little bit different, but basically, again, second book of Maccabees, and it says as following, Not long after this, King Antiochus sent an old Greek guy to compel the Jews to depart from the laws of their fathers and cease living by the laws of God. Okay? Um, somebody's from Athens. And to pollute the temple in Jerusalem. Again, I'm reading a translation from the Greek. There is no Hebrew. And to pollute the temple in Jerusalem that was now to be called after the name of Olympian Zeus. And the sanctuary Mount Grisim was also dedicated to Zeus. That's the, the, the Kusim. This onset of evil came to be harsh and odious for everyone. Okay? Notice, now the Jews are living under, under persecution. Okay? For the enemy filled the temple with riotous revelry. They dallied with prostitutes and consorted with women in sacred enclosures which I told you the other day you find in the Megillus Tinus on 23 Cheshwin, the Sorego. Moreover, they brought in carbonists that were Osir. The Mizbeach was filled with abominable sacrifices which the Torah prohibited. It was impossible either to keep Shabbos or observe Yontav or even openly confess oneself a Jew. With bitter necessity, they were compelled every month on the king's birthday to partake of a sacrifice. So in other words, if you were you had to go along, and when it comes to the third day of the month, whatever day the king's birthday was, you know, date of the month, you had to go and participate in some Avodah uh, sacrifice. And when the festival of Dionysus took place, which involves wild partying, they were compelled to march in the procession for Dionysus, garlanded with ivory wreaths, you know, with a certain type of headdress. In the base of Migdash. Upon the order of General Ptolemy, a decree was issued to the neighboring Greek cities commanding them to impose the same manner of observance and participation and to sacrifice upon the Jews and to kill all those who refused to conform with Greek manners. The desperate situation was apparent for all to see. For example, two women were brought up charges of circumcising their children. They publicly paraded them around the city with their babies clinging to their breasts and then they threw them headlong over the wall. Others fled to the cave to observe Shabbos and they were killed. And then he gets into the two stories. This is famous in the book of Maccabees. They tell you some torture stories. One is about Elazar, and the other is about Khan and the seven sons. I want to do the one about Elazar, but it's not long. And the point is, and, and he even precedes it by the author of the second book of Maccabees by saying, I appeal to those who come upon this book not to be cast down by these misfortunes, but rather to consider that these retributions were intended not to destroy, but rather to discipline our people. 
and he goes on and on in that line. So he's trying to justify the terrible sufferings you know that the Jews faced. Um, okay, now then he tells the story. Elazar, one of the foremost scribes, the foremost rabbis, Elazar, a man well advanced in years and of most noble countenance, was compelled to open his mouth in an attempt to force him to meet swine's flesh. So now the people, you'll see in a minute, it was his former Talmudim, who now had deserted to the to Misyavdim. His own ex-Yeshiva guys, he'd say today. Physically opened his mouth to put in the ham, pork. He welcomed death with glory rather than life with pollution. And of his own free will, he went to the rack, which means he was eventually uh, pulled apart. Right? Like in the movies. Pulled apart. Physically. Uh, as a torture. Spitting out the food, he became an example of what people should do who are steadfast enough to forfeit life itself rather than eat that which is not right for them to taste in spite of a natural urge to live. Those who were in charge of the forbidden sacrifice, those the torturers, because they had known the man for such a long time, meaning that they had uh, been familiar with him, meaning they were students of his. These were guys, Mamash happened the same thing with the Jewish communists. That they flipped. They started out from and then they flipped. And now they're in charge of torturing, like imagine Ramosha Feinstein, somebody like that. Really, an old man, to get a meat trafe, say he was serving an example for the others to eat trafe. Those who were in charge of the forbidden sacrifice, because they had known the man for such a long time, <laughs> took him aside and urged him privately to bring meat prepared by himself, which would be proper for him to use, and to pretend that he was eating the meat of the sacrifice ordered by the king. You get it? They said, listen, you used to be our Rebbe, something like that, and we feel bad having to torture you, but on the other hand, you got to do the ham's thing. So I'll tell you what, go home, bring some kosher food, we'll tell everybody it was ham, they'll see you eating it, and Shalom al Yisrael, you know, you won't have eaten treif, and and people th- and, and we will have discharged our duties, and they consider themselves very merciful by offering him this this opportunity. Thus, he might be saved from death on account of his old friendship for them. He might attain courteous treatment. So it goes to show you, like I say again, they wouldn't hesitate to pull apart uh, Chaim Kanievsky, something like that. He, however, high-minded as always, worthy of his age, worthy of his superiority and rank. His gray hair, so honorably acquired, and his distinguished appearance because of his fine behavior from childhood and because he followed the holy God-given laws, declared himself in no uncertain terms, saying they should rather send him to Hades. And he gives him a whole speech where he said, I'm not going to make a kill Hashem. And, uh, and as a result, he immediately went to the rack. Those who had been a little time before had held him in goodwill, now changed to hostility, thinking that the words he had spoken showed he'd taken leave of his senses. And so he he was, he was died by being pulled apart, right, on a torture machine. And he was 90 years old, and they didn't hesitate to do that. And you say, what kind of people are this? You say, I'm just trying to show you. These are the predecessors of the guys marching now against Israel. You see? They, they go to extremes, and they don't care. As he was dying under the blows, he said with his last breath, God in sacred knowledge is aware I could have escaped death, yet I now endure terrible sufferings in my body through these floggings 
So in other words, while they were pulling him apart, they were whipping him with like a cat of nine tails, meaning maximum pain. So just think about that. And when I say think about that, if you tell me it was the Greeks doing it, all right. If you tell me the Jews doing it, and they had known him for and held him in high esteem, they'd been students of his, things like that, then it kind of boggles the mind. Unless you say it is possible to have a certain set of Jews that are like junk but talk junk. That's how it goes. That's part of who we are. We have our good people, we got our bad ones. Right? These are the ones that the Chazal had in mind. I'm serious. When they tell you the story that the angel wrestled with Yaakov and punched him downstairs somewhere and and, and wounded his progeny, meaning that's what they mean. But when the Sar Shalesa punches Yaakov and wounds his progeny, he means as a result of this encounter with Esau, there will be, with counter with evil, some of Yaakov's children, some will be evil. You understand? Uh, I could escape death. I now endure terrible suffering in my body under these floggings. Yet within my soul, I suffered as gladly because of my reference, for, my reverence for the Lord. In this way, he died, leaving in his death an example of nobility and a memorial of valor, not only to the young, but to the great majority of his nation. And so we have this image of Hanukkah not resulting in the bad guys seeing the light as we would say today. And what's remarkable to me is, I don't know if I ever said it before, if you look at Yonas and Apeshitz in the uh, Yaroslavash, he has a little bit about Hanukkah in one place. In a uh, speech about Zion Adar, he has a bunch of those Zion Adar speeches, which were for the Hever Kadisha stuff. You know, I mean, that's when they used to have their uh, you know, party and all that. And he'd give a drush up. And he has a whole shtickle on Hanukkah. And I just want to get to the to the main part. This is the Yonas and Abishas, Where he says, <clears throat> What was the Nase of Hanukkah? That is Rabin Bad Ma'atim. History is full of those type of situations. There are many generals throughout history who are skilled. And because of one factor or another, they defeated larger armies. Right? I mean, I'll say it again. It's what makes... You know, uh, history interesting. Sometimes it's Rabin Mad Matim. So why Hanukkah's a nace? Right? And you'll tell me what's the oil. Eh, come on, what's the, what's the big nace? I'll read it to you. Kishanam Masha Medrash. Masha Kazabit Hanukkah. Meho Yanes. This is Rabbi Yonis Ancients. Meho Yanes. Hello, Lo Nasabu Dover Shumi Plus Ateva. It wasn't anything that was supernatural. Are you going to tell me that the Maccabees, who were outnumbered by the Greeks, defeated the Greeks? There's a lot of that in history. In the kingdom of warriors. And it happens fairly often that minority, if they're well-armed and are brave, they're not scared by the screaming of the other side. Then they'll defeat larger army, even though the large army is bigger. But they're rachalevo; they're 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 uh, bad morale. In fact, if you look throughout history, he says, right, 
It's never been a time when there hasn't been some great general or king somewhere who defeated larger armies. You find this. And it proposes along the lines that I'm talking about today that the Iker Nesa Chanukah, now he's speaking very spiritually here, if you look at the other stories in the Bible, the Jews were in bad shape, but then because of misfortune, they all did tshuva, and they cried out to God, and they were saved. These, the Jews were suffering golas because of the traitors among them. The Malshinim, the Prism, and they never did change. It's not as a result of the Maccabean victories that they say, oh, we see we're wrong. We apologize for torturing you and killing you and all the rest. They never did that. I am a support Yosef and Guriam and read the book of Josephus or something. Look how bad the Hellenist Jews were. And they actually brought the Greeks into Israel. It's a little, that's not 100% accurate, but I know what he means. He means the Yosef and Tobia, the tax gatherers. Right? And they never repented as a result of the Hanukkah miracle. And they never repented as a result of the victories of the Maccabees. And they stayed bemirdom in their rebellion against Hashem. And the Frumis, they never had been among the bad side. So it's not like there was any transformation that took place among Kla Yisrael in the time of Hanukkah. The Frum stayed Frum and the anti-Frum stayed anti-Frum. Rak Hashem chos alamo v'shim afiblut shavuklal. And Yonas Anavshitz, who is a big makobal among other things, very spiritual, his style of writing is very spiritualistic, he says, <clears throat> the only time you get in history, in the, in, in the Tanakh, for example, and so forth, that there's a nace is when there's accompanied by some tshuva. But if there's no teshuva, they don't get a nace. But Hanukkah is the exception because the bad guys never did tshuva and the good guys never were bad. Right? That's his way of saying it. That Hashem gave them a nace, a victory, even though no repentance took place. The from stayed from and the anti from stayed anti from. And that goes against the usual way God runs the world. Meaning God, according to him, God violates his own rules. His rules are that I only do a, a nace when there's some kind of teshuva. And there was no teshuva here. God doesn't change the rules. He made them. But on the occasion of Hanukkah, God saved Kla Yisrael Without any tshuva, meaning the bad guys did not repent. That's unusual, unique, that God intervened without any repentance taking place, and that's why That's why Hanukkah is not part of the Bible. He asserts, because we really don't want him to bring this out that God uh, uh, changed His own rules, etc., etc., etc. Which is a very interesting insight, and of course, what he means is that the bad guys never transformed. And therefore, the Jewish people never should have been to a nace. But they were. 
So you can only say that Hashem had pity on the people or something like that. Uh, and was willing to violate his own rules of engagement. That Bonashalom's own rules of engagement. Uh, that's a very spiritualistic way of looking at the story. But in Ekonomi, there you have it. And the reason I mention is this, this is something we hope for now. Because I'll tell you right now, the bad Jews that are marching with Hamas and the others are not going to change. 99%. They are who they are. I don't know how they think. They sold themselves out to the devil. And, you know, they're prepared. I don't know what. And therefore, it's not like this war is bringing out a wave of tshuva. Now, I have to be careful about this. <clears throat> the Jews in Israel, you do see a wave of tshuva. But what do you mean by tshuva? If you're talking about ritualistically, yes, more people are putting on tefillin and all that. I know that I'm happy with it, etc. But I, you know and I know how much of it is going gonna, is gonna to cling. When the war is over, as I hope and pray it will be, and let's say we have a victory, all the rest of it, a lot of people go back to the regular shetchis because that's how life is. People are like that. Will there be any Roshem as a result of the war? There will be. There will be. But the bad guys will be bad guys. And the left-wingers will go back to being left-wingers. And the right-wingers, the right-wingers. It's it, certainly to us in Chutzal Arts, certainly us in America, if Israel won a, 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 the war tomorrow, which I pray for, uh, these bad guys would not say, oh, we were on the wrong side. They'll double down and say Israel's uh, worse than before. What about Hamas? That's different. But Israel's worse than before. So not going to change. You understand? And nevertheless, we say, even though it won't change, we hope that Hashem will do a miracle anyway. That's the Hanukkah for you and me. Uh, that's a powerful message, because I'll say again, if you look at our Jewish history, doesn't happen too often this way. But it certainly is happening now. And therefore I conclude by saying, I hope, you hope, I hope, that, first of all, Israel should win. Second of all, they should all see the light. Third of all, if they don't see the light, Israel should win anyway. Because I can't wait for them. You see? I can't wait for them. Probably most of them are incorrigible because of the screwed up hashkafas that they evolved each one in their own way. I mean, who knows? I don't have the time or the interest to pursue that particular avenue of exploring the nature of Jewish self-hate and things like that. They're all books in, 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 on that kind of subject. I don't have the time for that. I got a life. Um, but what Yonas Eibshut says speaks powerfully. Maybe the bad guys remain bad, the good guys remain good. And ordinarily, that doesn't call for a miracle. But on Hanukkah, it does. And it'd be nice if before Hanukkah is over, which is another day or two, um, before Hanukkah is over, we would see a nice nace and the Hamas would collapse. The Hamas would collapse and the whole thing would be over. It's a, Maybe it's wishful thinking, but it is wishful thinking. It's, it's what I wish for. It's what you wish for. Anyway, just wanted to share that thought. Again, I want to thank the Khans. We're sponsoring this again because they have the yard site of Zalman, I'm sorry, of Nachman Ben Mayer. And uh, today's the yard site. It's in the Shem Shavaliyah. And I wish everybody a, a good Hanukkah.